And good morning. I am the aforementioned uh, Dave Mitchell. Uh, what Josh is referencing, if you're new, uh, I was, I've been on staff here for 26 years. Uh, 22 of those, I was the senior pastor. And for the last five years or so, uh, just doing something other than that. And, uh, uh, and then a, a few weeks ago, I resigned. So I'm, I'm no longer on staff here at Calvary Church. In fact, when I was on staff at Calvary Church, you might say that I was paid to be good. Now I'm up here and I'm just good for nothing. And so I'm just glad to, I waited, uh, I waited 46 years to be able to share that with you. So. so it's good to be able to share that I'm good for nothing. Uh, I, and I, just to clarify, because I have people saying, what are you doing in your retirement? I'm not retired, I'm actually wor still working full time, uh, doing hospice chaplain work. And so I'm helping people you know, God willing, I'm helping them and their family members finish as well as possible. And uh, some of them know our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we know that they're entering into the paradise of heaven. And some of them were just trying to be that messenger and that presence of Christ, the ministry of presence, that Lord willing, their hearts would be touched and they would enter that same kingdom of heaven that all of us who love Jesus are planning to go to. We are in the process of looking into the Old Testament. I want to read a, a New Testament passage that is about the Old Testament passages. We're in the book of Numbers and we're traveling there. And you might want to find your way to the book of Numbers, Genesis, Exodus. This is right there at the beginning of the entire Bible. It's a Bible in the chair rack in front of you. I'm going to be reading for the New American Standard Version. It's just what you know, you kind of get used to a certain version, you sort of stick with it. But uh, the NLT that's in the chair rack in front of you, you're certainly welcome to use that as well. Let me read this one passage that sets up what we want to talk about today. In Romans chapter 15, the Apostle Paul writes to the city of Rome, to the Roman citizens, particularly the believers that are there, and he says this, one verse, for whatever was written in earlier times, the Old Testament for us, was written for our instruction. Why? So that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. We might have hope. And so we're going to go into the book of Numbers at a very critical time of the, really the history of the nation of Israel. And it got to Numbers chapter 13, where to set up the context, last week Eric was talking about the 70 leaders. They chose 70 leaders. God's Spirit filled them, gave them capacity beyond what they could do humanly, and gave to them strength and power. These 70 leaders are somewhere surrounded in this community of a million to two million Jewish children of God. The Israelites, as they're about to become the Israelites, entering into this land that we call the Promised Land, where Eric and a group of our Calvary people are over there in Israel in the Promised Land, sometimes referred to as the Holy Land in Scripture, as a matter of fact. And it's important for us to understand how this all began. And so the challenge for us is living by faith. I was intrigued. I don't know if you know it, but the Olympics were just uh, a few weeks ago. It feels like a year ago. And uh, I didn't really get in tune with it too much, but I was intrigued by this one story. Here's a uh, man from, uh, I think it's Norway, and uh, there we go. This man from Norway is a skier. He was, the, he was the, the, the expected to be the gold medal winner. 
of some sort of a ski and jump, and I don't quite understand it all. But he was in the lead. He was in the lead. He was going to be the, the champion of all times. He had this lead on every other skier that's out there. But unfortunately, he lost his way, made a wrong turn, and lost his lead and lost the race. He didn't even medal. And it's just tragic. He said at the very end, after it was all said and done, he said, it's a silly mistake. It's not fun to show the world that I maybe wasted a gold medal. A wrong turn and a wasted gold medal. And I'd like to set that up because that's where we're at with the nation of Israel. Uh, God's children are on the precipice of entering into the promised land. Uh, they have all the things that they need. They have the constitution, the bylaws, the laws, the regulatory laws, the dietary laws. They've, they've got these things in place that are being established for them, and now they're entering into the promised land that God would give to them the land that he had promised to them. And so as they're beginning to go into the promised land, it's a little daunting thing. It's, it's a daunting thing to go into a, a countryside, a, a, an area where there are seven other nations referred to as Canaan, seven other nations that are in this populated area that today we call Israel. And it's a little daunting to go into this territory and not quite know what you're going to face. And so they've gathered together to consult how should we go about this. And so in Numbers chapter 13, let me read a few of the verses. It says in verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, we call it Israel today, but the Canaanites were the most populous group, but there were six other nations that were there, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent, from, sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the sons of Israel. So this is the beginning. And the challenge for us is to live by faith. God has promised them this land. The way to live by faith over time and not falter along the way is to know and remember the promises of God. And this is the key point. It says here in verse 2, Send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan. And here is the key phrase as I read through this verse, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. I'm giving you this land. This is my gift. It is yours. All you need to do is to claim it. Go into it. Make it your own. It's yours. I promise to give you this land. The way to overcome a weakened faith is to remember the promises of God. Now, this is not the first time that God promised them this land. If you're a follower of the Lord and you're a student of the Word of God, there's a key passage that everybody who is a follower of Jesus should know. It's in Genesis chapter 12. It is what we refer to as the Abrahamic covenant. When God chose Abraham to be the very first Jew, he said, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you seed. I'm going to bless you in this new land. And you're going to be a blessing to the nations around you. And so God said to Abraham 400 years before 
Numbers 13. 400 years before Moses, God said, this is your land. And he marked out the land in Genesis 15. You can read through Genesis 15, and you can see the boundaries of what this land is. I don't have a map of it, but if I had a map of it, it would show that it includes areas of Iran and Iraq, of Lebanon and Egypt. And so it's a huge population from the sea to the Euphrates River. This is all going to be their promised land. And then 400 years after Abraham was given that promise, God then says to the children of Israel, as they're about to enter into the land, this is my gift to you. He didn't remind them of what Abraham said. They knew what Abraham had been said, had been said to him. And so for me, the practical application of where it gives me hope is to remember what are the promises of God? What has God promised me? What are those things that I want to claim? The biggest promise, capital P promise, is the promise of the gift of eternal life and a heavenly home that someday I'll go to because I put my faith in Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate promised land. None of us are going to a specific territory to claim that as our own. This isn't us going to Israel on an Israel trip to claim it as our own. No, the promised land to today, the application of this passage, the Romans 15, 8 application of hope is that God gave to us heaven through his son Jesus, and it's a gift. It's the gift of life. It's a free gift. There's nothing I have to do but simply to believe that Jesus died for my sins, and he will forgive me of my sins. He'll take the punishment of my sins, and then he'll give to me heaven. That's the ultimate big P promise. We all live in that promise and that hope. No matter what happens here, that's a promise. I claim it. I'm going to embrace it, and when I die, I go there. But then there's smaller P promises. God, you promised to, to help me in my marriage, to make it a loving marriage the way you want it to be, to change me or my spouse in ways that allows me to have the marriage that is honoring for us Christ love the church. God, you promised that you're not willing that any would perish. And I pray constantly to claim the promise, God, you're not willing that any would perish as I pray for those that I know that need Jesus, that don't have the big P promise of heaven yet, but they've never believed in Jesus, but their hearts seem to be cold. They seem to be blinded by the, by the work of Satan, and somehow they don't see the big promise of heaven, and they've never come to faith. So God, I am not willing that any would perish. You're not willing that any would perish. So I'm claiming the promise that you would save these people. You might have a child. You might have a spouse. You might have a parent. You might have a coworker, a classmate that has yet to believe in the promise of heaven through Christ and pray for them and claim that promise for them. That's what we need to do. Sometimes before I go to visit with some of the people I visit with who have a death sentence before them, I say, Lord, would you open their hearts that as I go and speak, you would speak through me that your salvation would enter their lives because you're not willing that any would perish. Peter said that. So God, I want to claim these promises, whether it's a broken marriage or it's habits and hangups that are causing me to stumble. It's an anger problem. It's a drinking problem. It's an addiction problem of some type of pornography, whatever that may be. God, I'm going to claim the promise of healing and your power that is greater than the power of the evil one of this world. God, I want to claim these promises. So it's key for us to remember the promises of God. 
and build our faith on his promises, not on other things that come and go. We'll talk about that in a moment. So he says this, he says, send out these spies, and I underline, which I'm going to give to the sons of Israel. This is my promise to you. Claim that promise and go out, and you shall send the man out from each of the father's tribes, everyone a leader among them. So they have the 12 tribes, so they got 12 men that are going to be chosen. These are the best of all the men. These are the top of the heap of those who are going to be leaders. These are the men that we can count on to go and do my work and claim the promise. Search the land, research the land, find out what's in the land. So we know based upon our human effort, we can understand the promises of God that we're gonna claim by his power. You would expect that to be the unfolding of this, but then there are challenges that come away, and this is what makes life so hard, because we want to claim the promise of God, but there are challenges that get in the way of claiming that promise, and there are two, prom- there are two problems that occur here, and this is what gets so frustrating in the Christian life, that there are these challenges that get in between me and God's promises. And the first big challenge is people. You know, there's a lot of pastors that say, my church is great except for the people. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's kind of a pastor's conference joke that goes around. It's not very nice. It's not very polite. It's not very biblical. It's not very uh, moral. In fact, it's sinful, and we all should repent of those things. <laughs> but that's sometimes how you feel. It's other people. It's my spouse. It's that coworker. It's that neighbor. It drives me nuts. You know, it's other people that have a way to undermine my faith. And there's two characteristics of these people. It's the negativity that these people give to me. And I'm not going to read all these names, but if you read from verse 3 all the way down to verse 29, it's listing all these people and what they failed to do. Because there's these 12 men that go out, and there's two that are outstanding. In verse 6, it's Caleb, and in verse 7, it's Joshua. Those two stood out, but it's the negativity because these men went out there and they said, it's too big of a problem, we cannot do it. There was 10 of them that had this negativity. There are some people that when you're with them, there's a negativity that just sucks the faith out of my life. I've had people in my life that way. I've had them right here at Calvary Church. In my early years, there were a lot of people that would suck the faith out of my life. In fact, in my early years here, just like, since I don't work here anymore, I can just say whatever I want. Um, in my early years here at Calvary Church, I got so discouraged by some negativity that was being thrown my way that I wrote a letter of resignation and put it in one of my files and said, I'm just getting it ready to give it to the elder board because I was so discouraged by the negativity and the undermining of some people. It was a challenge to be able to live by faith. That God, I thought you called me here, but Lord, after a few years of being here, I'm not sure this is working out. And it's tough. And maybe you've been in a situation like that. The negativity of a spouse or a friend or, or a classmate or a coworker or a boss, an employee, and it can just suck the life out of your faith. So be alert that there are negative people, and that's what this list of names, it's interesting that God puts the names of these failed leaders in the book. He puts them in the Bible. He didn't mention just 12 men. He said, let me tell you specifically their names. 
So when you get to heaven, when you get to heaven, you say, oh, I think I read about you in Numbers 13. <laughs> and if their face flushes in embarrassment, so be it. I don't, know if you, I don't know if you get embarrassed in heaven or not. But the whole idea that there are negative people that suck the faith out of us, and it's devastating when it happens. And the second thing that is the problem is the majority vote. Being a believer is not a democracy. We hear a lot about democracy today. There's no democracy with God. There's no majority rules. It's not what the populace says. It's what God says. The problem is that these people then go to the land and they check out the land, they search it out, and then they come back with this report in verses 30 and 31. It says then in verse 30, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But, the worst word in verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him, the other ten, the other ten who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone and spied it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, uh, part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. And so the ten men, the twelve had a vote. Two said, let's go. Ten said, don't go. It's too hard. We can't do it. And the popular vote won. So ten men, the negativity of their thinking influenced a nation of two million people, and they didn't go into the land. That was a decision that was made. I love this quote. John Stone Street said, ideas have consequences, bad ideas have victims. That was a bad idea. Those 10 that voted don't go, because of those 10 voting don't go, because those 10's faith were so weak and fickle, because those 10 failed in what their assignment was, God says, you're now gonna wander through the wilderness for 40 years. For 40 days, they go into the promised land to check it out. They come back with a report. We can't do it. It's too hard. Let's not go. God says, okay, for 40 days in the so-called promised land for you, you will then for 40 years wander in the wilderness, and they did. But those 10 men did not wander for 40 years in the wilderness. Those 10 men got a COVID-19, and they died. <laughs> it might have been a COVID-19, but they were struck by a plague, and they died. God says, that's it. We're done. You know, I'm not a fear monger or anything, but it's a little daunting to me to think that when my faith gets so weak and I don't claim the power and promises of God, that somehow it influences the well-being of my heart and my mind. And these men were taken out by God. It's sort of like in Romans 15, 8, I want you to persevere because I want to give you hope. So learn from how I worked in the Old Testament because I don't want to work that way today. So God says, remember that when I give you something, claim it as a promise. And sometimes circumstances are so hard and I just don't know what to do. So they go into the land and they said to him, said, we went into the land where you sent us and it certainly does flow with milk and honey and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I hate that word, nevertheless, 
which means ceasing to do something. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, which are these giant, tall, tall, tall people. They go all the way back to the days of Noah. They were huge, giant people. It says, we cannot deal with these people. The problem is too big. And so we need to recognize the symptoms of a weak faith. Let me just break down the weakness of this faith. Let me get more specific in what that looks like. There are specific characteristics of a weak faith. And a weak faith is made up of these comments that these people made to uh, Moses in the face of Caleb and Joshua who did not agree. The first statement that these people said, I do not have what it takes. It says in verse 31, we are not able. We are not able. The challenge of not claiming God's promises is simply to say, I don't have what it takes. And God says, well, you, of course you don't have what it takes. I'm giving you this land, and I'm going to empower you to claim the land. I don't have what it takes to get to heaven. Of course I don't have what it takes to get to heaven. There's not enough good that I can do to get to heaven to the ultimate promised land because God says, I'm going to do it for you. And so some of the promises that we have, the little p promises in this world of a better this and a better of that and overcoming these problems and these challenges, it's not because I have what it takes. It's because God has what it takes to work through me to achieve that. I need to live by the power of faith and the power of God, not by my own self-assessment of what I am able to do. Don't ever say to God, I don't have what it takes. Now, I said that when I came to Calvary Church. I honestly did. I came here, and my fingernails and my wife's fingernails are still on the I-5 coming down here. <laughs> Honestly, there were so many days when I said, I don't have what it takes. And God would meet with me in that office that's right up above here, in that little solitude place. And he would say, Dave, I know that you don't have what it takes. I know you don't have what it takes. And that's when I came up with the concept that God gave to me that I'm not the senior pastor here. Jesus is the senior pastor here. Jesus is the good shepherd, the great shepherd. And Dave, I don't want to give up my job, Jesus said. I want to remain the senior pastor here. So I'm not delegating it to you. I just want to work through you. Will you let me? So I hung in there. The problem is too hard for me. The problem is too hard. We are not able to go up against the people for they are too strong for us. When God gives you a promise, don't ever think, it's too hard for me. Because God says, I'm going to enable you to do it. My power works perfectly through your weakness, he said to the Apostle Paul. I am small and I am insignificant. Notice how they are self-assessed. In verse 33, there also we saw the Nephilim, who are these giant, giant people, the sons of Anak, a part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. I am insignificant. I am small. I am unworthy. How many times have I talked to some people who are dying and they, I ask about heaven. I am unworthy of going to heaven. Of course you're unworthy, but God will make you worthy. God will do it for you. I am unworthy of this marriage. I'm unworthy of this job, of course, but let God make you worthy by his power flowing through you. It is so challenging to live by faith when I see myself as insignificant and God says, no, you are my child. You are my precious one. I've died for you. What more do I have to do to tell you of my love? And so this idea that I am small and insignificant no, God says, you are so significant, I was willing to send my son for you. 
that you could have the promise of heaven and every other thing of the abundant life on earth. Let me bless you with it. And then sometimes my feelings get hurt and I'm driven by my feelings. How I feel determines how I live. These people were weeping. It says they, in verse 14, chapter 14, verse 1, then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. When I am driven by how I feel, when my belief system is built upon how I feel, my faith will falter. My faith is not driven by how I feel any given day. Because as many days I'll get up and I don't feel very good, but it doesn't mean God loves me less. It doesn't mean his power is not available. It doesn't mean I'm no longer his child. If I feel unworthy, it doesn't mean I've lost my salvation. Don't let your belief system be driven by how you feel, but let your belief system be based upon the promises of God and his power to accomplish it through us. And then finally, what happens is that we give up. We give up. Would that we had died, it said in 14.2. Would that we had died in the land of Egypt or that we would have died in the wilderness. We just want to quit. Other times they say, let's just go back to Egypt. We, we live in this weakened state and we give up. I was reading some notes that I have and I was reminded way back a long time ago when her daughter Kirsty was, I don't know, four or five, and she had the little bicycle with the training wheels on it. Many of you who are parents know these days. And I said, it's time to take the training wheels off. And so I took the training wheels off that balanced her, and she began to cry. She says, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I said, Daddy's right behind you, and I'm holding you every step of the way. No, put the training wheels on. Put the training wheels back on. No, I am here holding you. I won't let you fall. And over time, her faith grew, right? As a little kid, faith that I can not crash on a bike. And I think of that simple little story. And I look at myself and say, God, put the training wheels back on. Help me. I don't have what it takes. I want to give up. I just can't do this. Don't ever surrender your faith, but these are the signs of a weakened faith. And I, and I, I recognize them in my own heart. I, I sometimes dip into those weakened faith belief systems that we just reiterated from Numbers 13. I don't want to live that way. So that's why he said in Deuteronomy 130, the Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight on your behalf just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. He will fight for you. He will make these promises yours. We need to live by the faith that God gives to us. So let me give you some signs of a growing faith. Some of the good illustrations of a growing faith are even relevant for us today. Here's a picture of a bunch of Ukrainian believers on their knees in Kiev as they're struggling to overcome the enemy of the Russians, of Putin, and their attack. And I came across some quotes of some of the believers that are over there. There's a Kiev Theological Seminary. The Kiev Theological Seminary is a sister seminary of Talbot School of Theology of Biola University. Some of Biola's professors have taught over there in the Kiev Theological Seminary. And here is what the leader said, generating panic through the spread of manipulation, false information is exactly what the enemy seeks. This war is not as much for the, our territories 
as it is for our soul and our mind. He goes on to say, and quote Isaiah 41.10, and he urged the Facebook audience to say, do not panic, but to remember how many times God in his word says, don't be afraid. The seminary noted that fear equals paralysis while prayer, trust in God, and love of neighbor all give strength. I can't pronounce this pastor's name. There's too many vowels. But he's the pastor of the Urban Bible Church that's 18 miles uh, northwest of Kiev, and he's also a professor at the Kiev Theological Seminary. Here's what he said. When this is over, the citizens of Kiev will remember how Christians have responded in their time of need. We will shelter the weak, serve the suffering, mend the broken, and as we do, we offer the unshakable hope of Christ and his gospel. In our churches, whether Orthodox, Catholic, Protestant, or Evangelical, there are more new people, not only on Sunday or Saturdays, but also during this week, he told the Australian Bible Society. On evenings when we have a Bible study, new people are coming. They want to pray to hear something that brings hope or comfort. And then one glass closing prayer went this way that one of the leaders said, please pray about the Russian Christians, that they would raise their prayers and voices toward the Russian government to stop the aggression. In fact, here's how I pray. I pray, God, what you did to King Nebuchadnezzar, and you read about it, what you did to King Nebuchadnezzar do to President Putin. That's what you should pray. God, you did it to Nebuchadnezzar, do it to him. And you can turn these people, turn them back. That's using God's word according to how God works, according to Romans 15, 8. Let me learn how you did it in the Old Testament. Let's do it now, God. That's what we should pray. There you go. It says, not only on, uh, they want to pray to hear something, uh, sorry. Please pray, see, I'm, this is why I'm, I don't work here anymore. Please pray about Russian Christians that they would raise their prayers and voices toward God. Finally, please pray for Ukrainian Christians that we will serve and live as the community of hope in a full sense of this term. That, that during these terrible times, we would uh, invite more and more people to a relationship with God and His children, to the knowledge of love, hope, and encouragement and support that our minds and characters would continue to transform into the character of Jesus Christ. You're not seeing that on the nightly news, but that's what God is doing. These are the Caleb and Joshua saints of Ukraine who are standing fast in the biblical truth of God's Word. But not only them, but we also have our own dear friend, missionary that we support, Oleg in Moldova. Here's a brief, brief word from him as he helps the refugees from Ukraine going into Moldova. Today we're at uh, the border with Ukraine providing uh, some of the basics. I'm so excited to be able to see other, you know, volunteers and churches that are involved to be able to put together food and sandwiches and basic supplies, hygienic kits, to be able to help with the people that are moving, just walking through the borders. And uh, literally, people are in tears because they've been there for, you know, 20 hours plus, uh, no toilets, no, just nothing that they could actually be able to uh, take care of themselves and their children. Children are, you know, being so desperately tears coming in, receiving some of the, you know, water, juices and stuff that uh, we're able to provide and be able to just tell them that it's in the name of Jesus and that we care. 
we know you care and we all together care. So thank you so much for partnering with us over this effort of helping refugees out of Ukraine. We appreciate you. We appreciate Oleg. This guy is just really on fire. He does a great, great work. Some of our saints have gone there. Debbie Rowley has been there and a team that she has taken to go over there to Moldova and these people need the Lord. But the Ukrainian Christians, they come across the border. Here's a witness opportunity to claim the biggest promise, the capital P promise of a heavenly home someday because their own personal homes are being lost. But it doesn't mean God's promises aren't still there to bless, to provide, to minister, to be the grace and love of Jesus Christ. And then sometimes the battles are personal. They're, they're right here in Santa Ana. This is our good friend, Ivan Pitts. He's a pastor of the Second Baptist Church here in Santa Ana. He preached right here on this platform uh, a while back. He was very dynamic, very exciting to listen to him. So he's out in his front yard this last week, and some guy comes up and stabs him seven times. One's right here, breaks his eye socket here, has to have, to have surgery, and six other penetrating wounds from a knife. Just out of nowhere. He's just out there, I think, taking in his garbage or something. He ends up in the hospital, ICUs, having surgery, uh, but he's recovering now. And here's something that he said. He's, he's never lost his sense of humor. He said, uh, update, I'm getting better each day. Surgery went very well, better than expected. The pain is down from an 8, 9 to a 4 and 5. I'm only taking Tylenol now. My biggest concern at this point is that the nurses are fighting over who is going to give me a sponge bath. And I don't know whether I should read this or not, but he says, Ben, one of the nurses is a male. <laughs> My wife is holding it all together. She's, this is harder on her in many ways than it is on me. I'll keep you informed. I cover your prayers. I'm very fortunate to still be alive. This man, for no reason, tried to take me out. However, and here's how it fits, however, he did not realize I got stuff to do, and I'm a survivor. Lakers may need me. <laughs> He's probably not far off in that, right? That's what I claim the promises and the power of God, that when we face the enemy, our faith is going to be challenged, challenged to our faith by these negative, harmful people, by circumstances that go way beyond what I think I can deal with. But then my faith blossoms, it grows, it produces better fruit. I become a more faithful follower of Jesus Christ. I deepen my roots and my belief system, not by what I feel, but what God promises. That's Numbers 13 and 14. And then some of the signs of this growing faith, let me just throw them on the screen very quickly, that when I have a feeling, my feeling is based upon not what I feel, but what God says, God's word. I, my faith blossoms and grows. I'm not going to take the time to read, but Philippians is filled with wonderful promises of God. But I want to read this one quote. F.B. Meyer has written a lot in the Old Testament, one of these dear saints that wrote wonderful commentaries, and he says this, Unbelief never gets beyond the difficulties. Of course they're going to come our way. The walks, the giants. Faith, on the other hand, though, it never minimizes the difficulties. Look them steady in, in the face, turns them, and looks into the face of God and counts on him. That's what God wants to do. I remember a couple that I married years ago. You get pretty nostalgic when you're old like me. 
and a couple that we married, they moved away. I call them Sam and Brenda. Sam and Brenda had two children, one a six-year-old and a little baby. And Brenda was uh, changing the diapers of the little baby, and the baby tumbled off the changing table. And, of course, that's traumatic. And the baby cried and cried and cried and wouldn't stop crying, wouldn't stop crying. And she's a PA herself. And so finally she says, I've got to take him to the ER. And as they're bundling up, she's getting in the car. Sam takes the six-year-old aside and says, Sam, let's pray to God that God would heal your little brother. So they prayed that prayer as Brenda bundled up the kid and went start driving to the ER. They get into the parking lot of the ER and the little baby stops crying and seems to be okay. So Brenda says, okay, let's just go home. I think we're okay. She's driving home. She's driving home. She calls up her husband, Sam, and says, Sam, I'm, I'm bringing him home. I think he's okay. And then Sam goes to his little six-year-old where they had just prayed for his healing. And he says, Mommy's bringing your brother home. He's okay now. And the little six-year-old says, you mean the doctor fixed him? She says, no, she's just bringing him home. She never went into the ER. And the little six-year-old said, you mean God did it all by himself? <laughs> I thought, that's faith, that we let God do it sometimes all by himself when I face obstacles. We also need to recognize that in a growing faith, I have the signs of a new godly vision and outlook as they portray the, the beauty of what God is going to do in Romans chapter 14. He continues to give to them these promises of God's blessing, and they fell on their face, and they spoke to the congregation, the land which we passed through to spy is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land, the land which flows with milk and honey. The Lord is with us. The Lord will strengthen us. The Lord is with us. Do not fear. And then the very last thing that happens, it says, then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting. God says, I want to give you strength. I want to give you power. I want you to believe me so I will give you ability to achieve what you cannot do, absolutely cannot do without me. And whatever the little P promises that you are claiming from God, build it upon your faith and don't let those people and those circumstances undermine it. God wants to fulfill his promises. Let me close with this. When I said the greatest promise of all is the big P promise of a heavenly home. And I can't get there on my own merits. Only Christ makes that possible. Let me tell you about my sister. I've never spoken of her here. She won't want me to speak of her here, but I'm going to do it anyways. My sister found herself <clears throat> in middle age area of life as a single woman. And then she struck up a friendship with a guy that she had dated in college. He was a single man. And eventually they married. And they had a wonderful marriage. They have a wonderful marriage. He was a perfect match for her. What I loved about Dick is that Dick loved my sister in the way she needed to be loved. And if you can find a spouse that loves you, not in the way he or she wants to love you, but if he or she can love you in the way you need to be loved to feel that love, then you struck gold. And so they had a wonderful marriage for many, many years. Well, just a couple of weeks ago, about a month ago, I guess it was now, both of them came down with COVID. My sister had COVID and Dick had COVID. And it was, okay, well, and my sister was sick but got over it. Dick had COVID, and suddenly he got worse and worse and worse. 
and he now he's in the hospital. Now he's in ICU, and his lungs continued to deteriorate. But we were praying. We were praying for God's blessing, God's healing. And then Dick goes on the ventilator. And on the ventilator, I reminded my sister, well, we have our own Chuck Gustafson. Where is he? Right there. Chuck Gustafson, we prayed for him. A friend prayed for him that one night when Michelle had to go to the hospital to, to uh, maybe see him for the last time. And that night, Chuck took a turn for the better. Here he is. I told my sister, you know, we had a, a fellow in our church, Chuck, and oh, you know, hope. Hope, the promise of God's healing power. And Dick was on that ventilator for seven days. I didn't think I'd get choked up, but I did when I prayed with my sister. And God took him home. He died. One day, they all gathered in the room, and I was on the phone because he lived up north. My sister, would you pray? And so I, over the phone, prayed as they unhooked the system. And Dick entered heaven. And my sister and I, what we claim, because I love Dick, wonderful brother-in-law, he and I would do house projects together. He had help on my house and other houses and his house, just very handy, and we wonderfully worked together. And then God took him home. And you know what keeps my sister going, because she's alone now. What keeps her going is this. I know where Dick is. I know that Dick is in heaven. I know God has given to him that eternal life. And that's the greatest promise of all. And I keep reminding myself, this is what she says, I keep reminding myself of the promises of God that he has given him a paradise in heaven. And Dick is well, Dick is whole. Dick is complete. His salvation is complete. And that's what keeps all of us going, of the ultimate promise. Not how we feel in our grief and sadness, but what we believe in God's promises and God's power through the Son, Jesus Christ. And so my invitation to you is that when that day comes, because we're all going to die, as I like to say at the funerals, George Bernard Shaw said the statistics on death are phenomenal. One out of every one person will die. And as I see many people who are dying, I recognize we're all dying. But if you've never made that commitment to your Savior, Jesus Christ, he invites you to have the ultimate promised land of heaven by saying, God, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of my sins. Take the punishment of my sins and give to me the gift of your eternal promised land of heaven. And don't let my faith falter by negativity, by challenges that are too hard. God, keep me on that path until that day comes when I enter your promised land. That's what God would have us take away. Let me pray. Father God, thank you that you're a God who watches over us, who cares for us. Lord, there will be challenges that come our way. It may be the person I'm sitting next to. It may be the person that I live next to. It may be the people that I work with. It may be something in my own heart and my own mind that is weakened. My addiction, my personal struggles, my anger. And God, never let me be driven by saying, I, I don't have what it takes. But God, let me be driven by saying, but you do, Lord. 
Your power is perfected in my weakness. So God, until the day comes that I enter your promised land of heaven, let me remain faithful. Let me be like Joshua and Caleb, listed in your book as those who had the courage of faith in the power that you give to us. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.